This episode is brought to you by Ionic. For more information, please see ionicframework.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel, we have Ari Clark. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Damian Dulish. Damian, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey there, I'm Damian, a member of the View core team. You might know me as the person that is sending you the VueJS newsletter and also the guy that is maintaining and creating several open source libraries, which you might know, the View Multiselect, Vulidate, and View Global events. Thanks for having me on the podcast and that's no end. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, Damian. I'm curious what everybody, and I guess by everybody, I, I really just mean Ari and then I'll, I'll go. Everybody's experiences with Damian's packages, if you've used them. Ari, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Vulidate myself. It's the only one I've used, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but no, it makes forms just so much easier because like, at first, I was trying to do form validation by, you know, like, roll your own. And God, that, that got nightmares real quick. <laughs> but it's super easy with Vulidate. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Thank you. Do you have any reasons, like, what did you enjoy the most? Like, what's your favorite part of it? So we know. Well, it made it really on. easy, like, the, the built-in validations and the fact that you had an IP address one because I actually needed to, to validate okay. IP addresses. I was like, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it just, it covers like, honestly, most scenarios. I did have to do a, a custom validator. And honestly, that was also super easy to implement. So it's just like, it's easy mm -hmm. and intuitive. Okay. Yeah, I can totally relate to your point, like trying to first build your own validations by hand. And this is how Vulidate started, actually. I guess like every library starts this way where you just have a problem, you try to solve it. And you find finally, after like a lot of struggles, you find a way that you think, hey, this could be something that I could share. And that's how Vulidate has been created. And I think it at the time it was pretty new because the approach was, well, totally different where instead of focusing on the form elements, we were focusing on the actually actual data model. So decouple it from actual inputs. And I think it worked and it I think it fit into the like validation scene in view where we have a couple of very good uh, solutions. And I think currently vValidate is probably the, the most popular one. But in some cases, yeah, I kind of agree. Vulidate could be, because it is the main idea behind it is different. It could feel its role or like feel a certain need, which I think is good to have like the option. In my case, it was trying to validate a lot of tables with like cross-cell relationships where the like the rules were dependent, like in a row, specific cells were dependent on each other, but then rows were validating rows were dependent on other rows. And then the rows were dependent on external data that was affecting the validations. So it would be very hard to design it in a scalable way using just inputs, especially when 
due to performance, you had to remove certain inputs and like just like show the inputs on a click. Hey, the cell is active and then it's inactive, right? So that was the main reason why the library was created. And I'm so happy that people find it useful, even though it's maybe a bit less friendly for the beginners. I guess I, I guess I can see that. I will admit the first time I looked at it, I found it intimidating. <laughs> um, Understandable. But I mean, like that was mostly just because like, I just like look at this like wall of text with like a bunch of dollar signs. And I'm like, I, no, bye. <laughs> For those who haven't looked at the documentation, the first thing you encounter is, yeah, what appears to be just be a wall of properties. But once I actually took the time to kind of understand how it was working and like what each property actually meant, I realized that it was incredibly powerful in that I can choose what I want to actually key off of. Like, for example, you can check for errors on the entire structure or just in like one property. So it allows you to validate not only on like a field by field basis, but the entire form, which is so useful. <laughs> and also I liked the ability to track whether or not the input had been touched or not. Yep. Although a lot of people have had a lot of issues with like the behavior of like whether it should validate even if someone hasn't been interacting with it and not, or not. But this is actually something that we fixed in version two, but for view three and for view two. Have you maybe tried it the next version? I have not. That's okay. That's okay. It's still I haven't in had the to do forms at my new job yet, which I'm grateful it's, for. <laughs> It's still in alpha, so it's probably not as stable, although we do use it on production in at Corsdoc, so the company that I work at. Uh, yeah, but I feel like that's different because you maintain it. So yep, like... yep, yep. <laughs> but I think it's already pretty solid, and I think there are a few very nice additions that you might find very, very uh, useful. Uh, one of them is that and this is actually something that we have a like a very heavy case in Corsdoc because it's like there is a lot of forms and also forms that are built by users. So like schema-driven forms. And one of the use cases that we needed uh, was how do we handle cases where we need to let the parent component know of the validations results from a child component, right? And like the old version of Vulidate doesn't really support this. So uh, the recommendation was to cre uh, set out all the rules, the validation rules in the root component, and then just pass the errors, right? It creates an additional coupling because then like some form components can't really have their own validations because they are depending on validations coming from the top and so on and so on, right? So instead of that, we figured like, hey, uh, like the new provide inject API in view three is much more powerful than in view two. So let's just use that. And so right now, if you have a nested component and if you use, use Vulidate inside through use Vulidate or the old syntax, the results will be sent to the top if there is a parent that also has used Vulidate so the composition function that we are exposing or is using Vulidate, and the results will be injected to the parent 
and also combined in those like aggregate properties like hey errors invalid and so on and so on and another addition is that all the built-in validators like the ip validator that you mentioned have built-in error messages that you know obviously overwrite right so if you have a component that has like a I don't know, like several nested components and those components could have another, like more nested components. All of the validation results will be sent to the very, like through the parent chain without you uh, having to actually do anything. The only thing that you need to get all child components validation results is just do like dollar inside V or just like validate results, whatever equals use validate. And it's just going to collect everything built in the aggregates that like are like will check whether the whole form is valid or not will collect all of the validation errors whether it's dirty whether there's like any dirtiness inside you can also use the touch or validate methods to propagate the touch through all of the nested components to for example if you want to have like an enabled submit button that should disable itself once you click and like turn everything red, you can do that very easily. You just, like in the root component, in the form, you just have the button and then some like form inputs or other components that have those inputs. And all you need is you just get the validate, you do touch and then check whether it's invalid or not and make the button disabled, which I don't know how we never got to this uh, in a previous version. Like, I mean, that's that should be the, like, the most obvious solution. Yeah. I'm very so sorry everyone you- had to work with validate without this <laughs> if you get all the child validations is that a flat structure like do you need to worry about naming collisions you can actually pass your own string that will be used to register the child validations and they will be shown as like a nested kind of similar where like us right now you have like data property and then you would have like underscore or something and it, there you would see the validations from that uh, like nested component. But you don't really have to do that because by default, we'll use the view component instance ID, which is unique. So even if you do like V4 loops and so on, it's still going to work and it's going to work very nice. And also re- react if you add like, you have uh, a list of, I don't know, like, form cards that you can like add a new card and like each of those cards has its own validations which are duplicate rules right it's the same component and it's still gonna work because like those components those have different component instances as an ids and they are unique enough to to handle that so so it sounds like the main changes that we've discussed are creating a cleaner shape for the data and also automatically getting data from nested validations by default. Is that right? Yep. There are other improvements. For example, you can pass a property called lazy or dollar sign lazy as a config, and it will actually disable, make all validators lazy, and they won't evaluate until you interact with or touch the field. But to make it easier, you can use either on the half validate config or for specific properties, you can pass a config param called a dollar sign auto dirty set to true. And then whenever someone interacts with this property, it will set the dirty state to true 
that's also triggering the validators to evaluate, right? So although we made this by default, as in validators being lazy, but it turns out like it was a huge breaking change. I mean, obviously it's a breaking change. So we reverted back to having the validators be executed angrily, like immediately. But then like if you want, you can make them lazy by default or even like make specific validators lazy, which I guess might work very nicely for like async validators. So, so earlier you mentioned schemas or schema forms and mm-hmm. I want to say it was at ViewConf this year but it almost feels like that can't be true where you surveyed the audience and asked them how many were familiar with and use schema forms and at least for the ViewConf US audience mm-hmm. the numbers were pretty low so I'm wondering if for listeners who are in that demographic if you could take a moment to explain what schema forms are, and also while we're at it, I guess what dirty and touched mean. Oh yeah, that the choice of words could be weird. So dirty means that a field has been interacted with. So in terms of inputs, someone has typed something into the input and the data has changed at least once. And touch means, I guess, kind of like having a cake and if you put a, your finger in it, you touch it and it's, it's just dirty, right? So I guess that's the... The cake is dirty, but it's not like the form is dirty, right? It's just touched. Yeah, that, that's why you have like the any dirty. So like right. just one piece of the cake is dirty. But if you touch everything, like the whole thing will be dirty. So, so uh, <laughs> if I type something and then delete it, then that would still be dirty, right? Whereas if I yep. just put my cursor inside a field and then click out of it, then it's been touched, right? So... I don't even need to click out of it. No? So if you were to interact with, so type something and then delete, it would be touched because you actually touched or modified the data, even if it went back to the initial state, right? But it's like you got the the cherry, you look at it and put it back, right? I mean, it's already, it has been touched. It could have been possibly dirty. I thought dirty was like a a subset of touched or a super I don't whichever one it is. I thought like if it's dirty, it's been touched, but not vice versa. That's not right. So I guess it depends whether you use the out dirty config, which like if you interacted, it would change or in the old validate the dollar sign model helper, so that it would like it's tracking like interactions with the data model. But because validate is totally coupled to the like specific inputs, but to the data. If you like, just like move your cursor through or like click on an input and then just like tap to something else, as long as the data hasn't been modified, it's going to be considered pristine or yeah, not dirty. But touched? No, touched. There is no like touched state. There is just touch as a method to make something dirty. Gotcha. For example, I found it useful when I wanted to kind of remind a user that they do need to enter their name. And if they skipped that one, as soon as they skipped it, I'm like, hey, need your name. Thanks. So like, you know, if you click into it, but you don't type anything, it won't be dirty. But as soon as that element loses focus, I want to be like, no, it's dirty now. It's not valid. (laughs) So you probably just use the like add blur and then touch the field. Yeah, exactly. 
Gotcha. I always thought that was touched, but I guess that makes sense to think of touched as a way to make things dirty. Yeah. Yeah, I guess touched might have been better, but like, yeah, breaking changes. Like, I don't think we can like change it right now. But there is reset. So you can like make undirty everything, which would be nice for a cake, right? But yeah. <laughs> Just smooth it uh, over. <laughs> right. yeah, so, so it's, it's like when you go outside and come home, you want to wash your hands before you touch anything and that will reset yep. the virus off your body or something. Yep. I don't yep. know. That was terrible. Yep. Oh, COVID time. <laughs> except you would probably also like forget everything that you experienced Mm. outside i mean from a validation perspective it doesn't really matter right because it's purely like derived from the state right so yeah that was actually a plot point last night in the show i've been watching they were like let's start over and forget everything we've gone through and i was like (laughs) okay is this like dark? No. Oh no, it's it's a it's a comedy. So the opposite of dark. Okay. What's the name of it? Uh, it's called Startup. Okay. I no. guess I can talk about it more in the pick section. I forgot I yeah, was watching yeah. a new show. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm right. super curious now. So, so yeah. stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. So Tessa, you mentioned the schema forms, right? Um, mm-hmm. So schema forms are forms that. To use them, you have to define a schema, which usually looks like a JavaScript object or a JavaScript array of objects. And then the schema is being used by a library or your own component to create the matching form inputs based on the schema. And then the whole thing has its own form value then that can be used, right? And it's not really useful when you have just like like static forms in your application where you like where the fields are always the same, or maybe you have some just like a very basic like, well, if you like check this checkbox, you have like an additional select or like additional, I don't know, like additional input, right? So it's probably super easy to just do it inside templates, right? But once you get to the point where you have a lot of like logic in the form, where you have to use different components based on different data and so on and so on, it gets very complicated to maintain it. So instead of that, you can use a schema form or like yeah, a schema-driven form where, because it's usually easier to modify and manage JavaScript objects than whole like template pieces. Instead of like doing V if as V if as V if as and so on, you can just have a function that will just tell you like, hey, if that's the case, use this component and like initiate it with those props. So a schema form is literally a component that is a wrapper on component is or like component uh, column is, which will become one of the components that you pass there. So if you pass a component is, let's uh, say form select, it will transform into form select. And that's the main idea. So when is it useful? It's extremely useful when you need to have users create forms. So for example, if you have type form, right? Or Google surveys, like what, what was the name? Google Forms. Google Forms, yeah. <laughs> surveys, jeez. <laughs> so, for example, you have users build the forms, right? So you have to save them as JSON. And then you have to be able to interpret it. And this is where like schema forms shine. 
So at my current job, we ended up into like taking the next step after schema forms and actually creating dynamic forms where the users can actually not only build a form, but they can set actions or like rules on forms that allow the form to transform based on other values in the inside that form and external values. So I think it's pretty crazy and very powerful because like you can literally program your own forms to fill in values, change the validation rules based on like a combination of different conditions coming from from other fields on the form or maybe coming from additional like context. So and this is like where schema form shines because everything can be translated into a JSON object that we can save. So is it basically generating the correct type of input based on the data type? Yep, but more. Gotcha. Right. The base idea is like super simple. Like it's just like a switch where you just put the correct components and you need like a unified way to collect the value from it and like combine it inside mm-hmm. the, like the form result, right? And that's it. But from there, you can just like go crazy. Yeah, I mean, listening to you describe it, I feel like there was maybe a missed or future opportunity here to incorporate transformers into the library name somehow. Like there's even like that aspect of, I don't know what it's called in English, but like when you have like a bunch of robots that are like a team, but then they can all combine to become like a super robot. Like it kind of sounds like that to me. So with Marina, mostly, we started working on... totally about to bring up her book. (laughs) So we also built a library together called Formulate, which actually has a plugin system. And there are certain plugins, one for Vulidate, one for Vvalidate, which is kind of the idea where you have this, you know, like this core Formulate, I don't know, robot. And then you have like other robots that can like be added to it and it actually works as a transformer inside the way it works underneath is you have the schema and this every field definition is being piped through the plugins and then the plugins can apply transformations and like add their own properties like or interpret the schema So the actual content that is being put inside the components is a bit different. So that's the first part. And then you have the second part that is applied on a component level. So every plugin has its own component wrapper, which is usually like a render risk or higher order component. So yeah, more like higher order component, which takes the transform schema make something with it. So for example, in terms of Vulidate plugin, it sets up the Vulidate, use Vulidate validation rules based and extracts the validations from the schema. And then inside, it just renders the original field component that the schema for wanted to render. And it just like wraps it with the validation rules and then potentially adds like a validation error component, which like shows the error messages. So it doesn't really do anything like it doesn't require any additions towards the or within the form inputs or fit inputs it's just the yeah, transformer 
and like wrapper that are like being added based on the plugins that you are using. And we kind of hope and still hope that there will be people interested in creating more plugins because I assume the idea is very powerful. But yeah, it's kind of specific use case, right? Well, when you talk about plugins and plugin architecture, what does that mean? Because I feel like I, I see that described so many places, like for example, with you, a lot of the changes over the last two years were moving towards a plugin architecture. And I'm like, I'm not sure I know what that means. Okay, so it's not a plugin in terms of like view plugin. It's more about, it's a view, form view late plugin. So the way it works, you have a factory function where you pass all of the plugins when you create a, a schema form component definition. Because in view, a component is an object until you create a new instance of it, right? So before you create a, the component and like put it inside a view, you can transform the object any way you want it. So what actually happens there is we take the original schema form component, which is just the object with a setup function, right? Create a new object, which calls the original setup from the schema form, from the original implementation of schema form, takes the original results from the setup that are being returned, and then it has to return them those results. But then it can also apply some modifications or add its own properties. So it's kind of like a decorator? Yeah, yeah, that's like a decorator. I think it could be, wow, that's probably, wow, that's genius. Like Because I haven't seen anyone do this kind of, at least not yet. Maybe someone has already done that. Because... It's like a yeah, higher order or kind of like a decorator where you take the f- a function, you decorate it with something, and the way it works, it executes the original function, takes the result, does something with it, and then returns the a modified version. Which, yeah, we could say like it's the plugin system is applying decorators. I see. On top of the original schema form. So, yeah, it can do a lot of things. And I guess that's the benefit of the view composition API. Because almost everything can be put inside setup mm-hmm. because you, you have just like one point that you need to extend, right? Like here is what goes inside. This is what comes back. You can do whatever you want and you just like override some of the properties, add some new ones and so on, which I think might have been possible with the options API, but it would have been much more complicated But because you would have to override specific methods and create like a shadowed version of a method that you like you'd have to use the original method rename it to something else and then like create your own method that would just like mimic the original one and then do something extra right so yep so it sounds like if i was observing it i'm just from the outside and not knowing how it was working. I might think it was like middleware or something because it's taking the input and giving me the output, but maybe augmenting it in between. But it's different because I need to make sure that all of those changes, I apply them to the factory function before I ever use it. Otherwise, I'll be in a world of pain. Yeah, that's a bit also similar. I guess it's a popular pattern. But the thing here is that from a user perspective, you don't really have to do anything except for just like, hey, import the plugin, import the factory function, create your own component, just like, yeah, put those ingredients, 
and it's gonna come up fine. And after that, you just pass like a slightly modified version of the schema. In case of validate, you have those extra like validations property that you pass for like each field. So, and those will be set. Those will be set on the in those wrappers, but then also in the root, you can just use validate and you will get all of the nested validation results, which is also one of the reasons why that change was so much needed. I will say that if listeners are interested in kind of learning the foundational patterns behind building schema-driven forms, I mm-hmm. do highly recommend Marina Mosti's book, Building Forms with Vue.js. Yep. Because that was my first introduction to both the schema-driven pattern and also Vulidate. So I second that. Nice. Uh, I had a look at it. I even have a copy. And yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Oh, hey there, Alex. Hey, Tessa. What's got you so down? I need to write a native mobile app, but I'm just a simple view developer. and I don't know how. Oh. Well, have you looked at Ionic? The Alanis Morissette song? No, silly. Ionic. Ionic is a platform for building mobile apps with the web. Whoa, what is what is happening? With over 100 components and pre-build animations, Ionic gives you building blocks to make awesome apps with ease. Oh no, we're trapped in an ad read. Best of all, it integrates with Vue, so getting up and running is easy. You can use your existing skills to ship native iOS apps, native Android apps, and progressive web apps without any hassle. Wait, I can use Vue to write a mobile app? Yeah, that's what I've been saying this whole time. Well, hot dang. I guess it's high time I give Ionic a try. To get started, visit Ionic Framework dot com slash view the heck was that just the narrator don't worry about it oh all right okay oh and be sure to tell ionic you enjoy the view speaking of introductions to view date i mean damian's already heard this story i think but like basically i was trying to decide like should i use validate or v validate and at the time, Evan was doing a deep dive view workshop that I was in. And he was like, blah, 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 Vulidate. And I was like, okay, guess I'm going with Vulidate. And I, I don't remember for sure since I was flipping between the two of them at the time. But I think like it might have been Vulidate. Like the changes were being pushed so fast that like I didn't realize I was a version behind what was documented. And so I was trying to use features. And I'd be like, why isn't this working? And then I, I realized, oh, like they pushed out a new version yesterday. Like it was that fast. So, Oh, yeah, that was the, the days of like very crazy development. And right now it's a bit more stale. But I think we are getting close to a beta version, which should be stable, pretty stable for a beta. Because we are still like getting a lot of feedback on uh, and still getting some new feature requests. For example, one that I think would be very nice is to introduce scopes, but also something that I want to call like stop propagate, which allows you to control like whether, like which nested components you validations you will collect. So from a, like a parent perspective, you could say like, hey, I only want to collect 
validation results from like this like subform and like then you have another uh, the same component because you can have like multiple use validate usages inside a a component you could say like hey but i only want to collect the validation results from like this list of like forms right and this this is a case that uh, has came up when we had a user have a component with a form where you have a model and then the model had its own validation rules because there were some errors. Those errors also showed up in the parent component, which, because it was an, a child component, right? Like the model was a child component of the main component, which, well, it's pretty obvious like right now, but we just haven't considered that this could be an issue when we were designing it. So I think what we can do is either have the, or maybe both, have the ability to specify which nested or child components, like which we want to collect validation results from, or maybe have, for example, in the model, you can just like add a config like stop propagation, and it will just prevent those validation rules from being sent to a parent or like any ancestor. So this should like help solve this problem very nicely. So we still have a lot of ideas and we are open to, because like this is the very moment where we can introduce new stuff and also make some changes, even some breaking changes. Because like once we roll into the stable, we probably will try to stick to and not like not make any drastic changes. So if you're listening, and I guess you are, otherwise you wouldn't hear me saying that. And if you're using Validate or plan on doing that and have some ideas what we could improve besides the release frequency, let us know in the issues board on GitHub. Well, loyal listeners will know that I am very good at scoped slots, so I can't wait to do an episode on scoped forms. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to shift the conversation to one of your other libraries, though. When I was in your workshop, I was describing to you this issue I had where I was using this library called Single Spa. And basically, the app that I was working on, it was like a view app for the nav menu. Mm -hmm. And then every page on, on the app was another view app. And like we needed to sometimes communicate something via click to the menu to communicate it to an, another app. Ari is cringing and hiding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't figure out a way to do it. And you suggested your view global events package, mm -hmm. which I did end up using and it worked fine on, on my repo. And then it, it ended up not working at all just because it turned out that the library that we were using for our components doesn't accept programmatic clicks. And I had asked why, and they were like, we don't know. It was a really long time ago. So um, <laughs> that was the end of that story. But since then, I've heard a few global events described as like basically an event bus. And I've worked on three view apps that all, all have event bus. And to me, they feel kind of different. So I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on how they might be similar or different. So I would say they are totally different, although if you want to be very specific, like every component is an event bus in Vue 2 because they implement the event bus interface. But yeah, that's that's just like nitpicking, right? So uh, the main, main idea- That's for, our job, uh, right? To nitpick. Yeah. <laughs> so the main idea behind Vue global events is to help users create shortcuts, like global shortcuts. 
So yeah, maybe it should have been called view global shortcuts instead of events. So the way it works, so normally without it, if you wanted to like listen to a shortcut, say like control F, you would need to add like a listener to a window or document, then like look up the key codes, set up the modifiers and so on and so on. Yeah. And this is a bit tiresome because then you have to remember to remove that exact listener. And what I think a lot of people that are using Vue love about Vue is that if you have an input and you can just do like at control.f equals listener and it's going to work, right? So because Vue underneath inside the template compiler, it translates the listeners along with the modifiers, key codes, and so on. And even like does the keyboard Windows versus Mac adjustments. So we figured like, hey, that's like in the template, in view, for forms, form inputs, and so on. Like this is how we want to use it. So uh, the idea was how we can make it, like you have the same API for like listeners on window or document, which are yeah, global. And... We figured that's probably quite easy. Like if you were to look at GitHub for the implementation, you would see that it's like a hundred lines of code, maybe a bit more, but it's like super tiny. And like, there is almost nothing that can go wrong. Like just recently, I mean, yeah, a few months ago with Eduardo, we did a per programming session and we rewrote it together to TypeScript and to version like migrated to version Vue 3. So it's compatible with Vue 3 in just like one evening. Uh, I think like it was like two hours or something. So it's like super tiny. And the biggest part was to update tests actually. So because like everything else was mostly straightforward. So the idea how, how it works is when you use the template and you set up the listeners on a component and the library is actually a component that doesn't render anything but it's a component, so you can use it in the template. And then once you pass the listeners, like yeah, at uh, keyapp.control.shift, what the component will accept is a listener's argument, or like you probably notice, like uh, if you, you have those like dollar sign address and also dollar sign listeners, right? So inside the dollar sign listeners object, you will have listeners that have all of the key codes modifiers already applied to it so it actually does the job for you we didn't really have to do any like key code mapping and so on the only thing that the library does is takes those listeners do like a for each loop add those listeners to window or document and then on before destroy it just removes them <laughs> and that's it. So maybe this isn't necessarily an issue, but I'm curious since Vue 3 is getting rid of dollar sign listeners, right? Like how does the same package work across both Vue 2 and Vue 3? Oh no, so it doesn't. Like, so in that case, we had to, because it's using like implementation specific properties, this is not compatible with both Vue 3 and Vue 2. So you have two different versions, but yeah, the new one is uh, for Vue 3. 
So it still has the listeners. Like you still have the attributes and those attributes are like, if I remember correctly, all of the listeners are prefixed with like a key up on something. So we just need mm -hmm. to like extract just the listeners part so we can use that to iterate on and set those, add those to the window. Makes sense. Speaking of what's new, uh, mm -hmm. before we close, I was wondering if you have any suggestions on where developers can learn about, I guess, for lack of a better word, new developments in the Vue world. Well, the Vue newsletter has been a bit inactive uh, within certain, like within the last few months due to many reasons, but the COVID situation was a factor. I'm very happy to say that starting this weekend, we should be able to resume the newsletter, which I hope will go out every two weeks. So yeah, this would be probably a nice way to keep track of everything that is happening. And then besides, I would say Twitter is probably the most reliable way to keep track of all of the news. But then it also consumes a lot of time to, to stay up to date. But there are several Twitter lists, I think, that I can't really remember the exact names that have several views related developers listed that you can follow to get some more updates on uh, view libraries and general like view topics. Damian, you were supposed to say the Enjoy the View podcast. I didn't even know you had a newsletter. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, really, Tessa? <laughs> well, uh, but yeah. Why should I? I mean, if if someone is already listening, they already know yeah. that this is a good source. And if they are not listening, there is no point of saying that, hey, you should listen to this podcast to get the news, right? Like, if they are not listening. But I will, yeah. sure, I will mention the Enjoy the View in the newsletter, as I already did several <laughs> times back in the days when it was actually sent. It made me feel special. <laughs> I felt like it, it legitimately did. <laughs> For listeners who are not yet subscribers to the newsletter, as of the time of this recording, like it sounds like when the newsletter will start back up again, it's going to be the first weekend of December. Yep. And you can join by going to news.vuejs.org. Great. Well, we'll include links to both the newsletter and the Fuelidate and Formulate repos yep. in the show notes. Yep. So Damian, where can people find you on the internet? Mostly Twitter. So it's Damian Dulish. But if you have trouble finding me, you can also, also go to my website, which is uh, dulish.com. And uh, there is the link to my GitHub and Twitter. So, and also the, the libraries uh, that I'm working on. So I think so. I haven't updated it in a while, but yeah, that's a place where you should have the, all the places that you can follow me and see what's happening. Although recently it's mostly my, my dog Bento. So <laughs> he's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm totally not having to go to a different room to record that because otherwise he would just, yeah, interrupt me. And with that, it's time to move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first? Sure. I won't steal one of Damien's picks that I was totally going to pick, but just know that I was going to pick one of his picks. It's a show on Netflix. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. Um, 
So instead, I will pick another show that you can find on Netflix, Alias Grace. It is based on the Margaret Atwater book. It is a limited series. I found it quite interesting. And if you watch Letterkenny, you may recognize a couple actors just saying, though in very different roles. Very different. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my pick. Nice. Cool. How about you, Damian? What, what are your picks for this week? I heard one of them might be a TV show, but that could be wrong. Yeah, so the TV show, and this is probably the last TV show that I was able to watch for a while, given the puppy, was Queen's Gambit, which was very good. Like I think we binked it like in two or three evenings. Yeah, it's about a chess player, and it's just like super well done. The characters are very believable, and it's just I don't know, like it just touched. Uh, some of the like patterns, I'd say. I haven't played chess like professionally. I just like did it for fun. Once at an airplane because the passenger next to me tried to play and they didn't know the rules. And it was uh, like uh, night flight. So I couldn't sleep because the, for some reasons, the screens are very bright. So I ended up teaching him the rules and we won the first game and then they lost the second one. So yeah. Uh, nice tip here is like get those like a covers when you're flying and want to sleep so yeah it, it was very fun like i very enjoyed the show and it's very short like i think it's just like seven or eight episodes so wow. yeah but they are pretty long like an hour long so beth beth yeah that's i think beth is like a prodigy kid that is like super good at chess and it just shows her a story from like when she was an orphan learned to play chess and then had to like struggle to be the very top player it's not based on real events but i think it has been based on or inspired by real yeah players so or some of them their stories so yeah was but it was done in a way that was totally believable and i had to google like hey is this based on a real story so the other picks for me would were demon souls which is the remastered version of the original from ps3 i managed to get the ps5 which i know wasn't that like many people weren't successful worked for me but that's the only game i i have and probably the only <laughs> game i managed to finish before the puppy arrived so yeah it's yeah, I feel like that's pretty impressive, no? Yeah, it's... I heard it's hard. It's hard, yeah. But if you already beat the like uh, Dark Souls, then you already know the drift and yeah, it's it's not as hard. And if you play Mage, it's like easy mode. So, so yeah, mm -hmm. spoilers alert. Like if you pick uh, Royalty, which is, yeah, like a spell, like it starts as a spell user or spell. It's very easy because you can cheese a lot of encounters. Not that I did, but I did. Okay, I did on the first playthrough. <laughs> so, yeah. It's fun. It's quite challenging, quite frustrating. Good training before a puppy. I mean, your patience. If you die to, to the same enemy like 10 times in a row, that's a similar kind of frustration. And the second pick... Third pick? Treat, treats, or but second gaming pick was Hades. So this is something we played. I think there was like a boom for that game in the in the core team where, with several people playing Hades and just like 
a very well done game, kind of like a roguelike with uh, Diablo-like perspective where you just like go through randomly generated levels and try to like beat all of the bosses. And usually the story in those games isn't that interesting, except in mm-hmm. this game, it was very, very well done. So mm-hmm. I think it's from the creators from uh, Bastion and uh, mm-hmm. I think Transistor. So mm-hmm. yeah, very memorable voices, voice acting, music and like it's a small team but like like i think it's like definitely could be the game of the year at least for, for me like amazing game gameplay and it's also super hard so i don't know what what's with those tough games oh no i, I just bought it. it maybe i should return it because yeah Sorry, go ahead. The, at least the third time it's been picked on this show <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> so yeah yeah i i try. guess i should probably get it <laughs> Yeah, Wait, I just I go ahead. You you definitely should like I mean especially on the switch like this is something that you just like take you need a break you just like spend like I mean if you're very good you you can finish it in, like twelve minutes but that normally like it takes around like I'd say twenty minutes to finish and then you can just like oh no I'm not touching this game for like another few hours because you get frustrated or maybe you beat it and it's like okay <laughs> it's getting addicting so yeah that's that's one of the two options so yeah, yeah I guess I'm more worried that I won't put it down <laughs> and it will especially, take over my life <laughs> especially with a switch like it makes it very hard to Which, put down yeah. because you can just take it everywhere yep not that it ever happened not that it ever happened <laughs> So I just have a quick side question. Earlier, you said there was like a small boom in the core team. So like, does boom mean like it was like popular? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, okay, so I guess there is no, isn't well, there like I, a, I was just... So I was thinking like, maybe there is no word like boom as in, because I know that there is a word in Polish that is, there is a boom. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that it's uh, it's like coming from English. But apparently maybe it's not. Me. It's just you, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, the reason I was curious was because so, like in Japanese, there's like my boomu, which means like what you're into now. And then boomu is just like what everybody's into. I'm oh. Like I know it's it's supposed to be boom, but this is my first time hearing it in English. So ah. I want to know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So so in Poland, we say like, yes, boom, natos, which means like there is a, yeah, like a very huge, like big interest in like, People are being interested in something or like it's getting very popular, like suddenly. So yeah, I've, I think on uh, on the core team chat, like many people were like mentioning, like they are playing the game. I think uh, Evan got very good at it. He even I think tweeted that he beat it in like twelve minutes. That's why I said like if you are good, you beat it in twelve minutes. Challenge accepted. <laughs> right. Maybe we should suggest it to Ben. He might like it, but I'm not sure. I think he already played it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is just me post-stealing Ben's pick because he, <laughs> he picked it before it was even released. Oh, yeah, because I think it was in like an early uh, access. Yep. But yeah, I haven't mm-hmm. heard about it like before the uh, like final release of this. Yep, I too am a Hades pleb, so there's that. Okay, cool. Although I did play with the cheat mode on for a while because I was so frustrated. I figured like, hey, I'm just going to make it a bit easier so yeah nice so that's that's yeah with me but maybe people won't uh, like uh hear that like they they might oh pigs not really straight so yeah 
Well, I uh. guess that <laughs> please my picks. So my first pick is, I don't know how to describe it. It's this Instagram video that Michelle Sinowitz shared. And it's like a multi-part musical number about Thanksgiving. I don't know what the background is behind this, but it's just amazing to me because like you watch the first video and you're like, okay, okay, it's a song about Thanksgiving. I won't talk anymore about it, but yeah, you really need to listen to the description when it says watch all the videos. Okay, so could I have another pick? Because I didn't know like we can have like videos as a pick. So I don't think it's like a very worth way, but when I was waiting for the taller puppy, which is the dog I have, we did some like search on like random TikTok videos with toddlers. And there was one with the like baby shark song, which I didn't know existed. And it's just like a super tiny puppy. And like someone is like playing with his belly and he's just like the cutest thing ever. And it has this like baby shark song, which stuck in my head for so long that I just like singing it to Bento. <laughs> like every yeah every day when playing with him so yeah that's that's might something be the only that... person who's never heard it and i'm so grateful for that <laughs> oh yeah like it just like goes into your head and just doesn't want to go out should i send you the link to to, no. to that I mean, <laughs> well we'll just we'll link it in the show notes for the brave yeah i mean like <laughs> it's in the pics it should be there so like, try to find it in the uh, like message log, log and send you send it to you because yeah it's it's adorable and yeah and apparently the song is super popular which yeah I never heard of it before that so it's like what is this why does it just like digs in my head and just <laughs> that's like my friend Kristen tweeted the other day that she got the baby bottle pop song stuck in her head and I was like oh no <laughs> I don't um, know it and I don't think I want you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a jingle for like a, a candy. So my second pick, I guess I can talk about this show Startup. It's another K drama. It's about startups. I picked it randomly, which like I don't know why I would pick a show about startups because like every time they're talking about startup stuff, I just feel extremely stressed out. But it's a funny and cute show about these people who are trying to create a bunch of different SaaS products using artificial intelligence. Which I feel like is interesting to see, like the lens of what K drama thinks like tech startups are like and what AI is like, and also like a little bit stressful because there isn't really any conversation about bias or the other like real world problems that plague mm-hmm. tech. But I mean, as as just like a K drama, it's fun and cute. Yeah. Oh, and which platform? Platform is it? You can watch it on Netflix, and they put a lot of time into making like these graphic animations to go along with the show um uh-huh. so whoever did that kudos nice nice yeah I, I don't think i've seen it so maybe it's like restricted based on uh or maybe because i haven't location. browsed to yeah location but maybe oh. I, I haven't just like browsed through the list of yeah, shows in a while so yeah yeah i think it probably came out around the time you got bento okay so like it's just recently like, yeah Okay, yeah, because yeah, he's here like since Saturday, and yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, all right, and cool. that's all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and until next time, enjoy the view. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you. For-